Rots a righteousness tends to be long So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we punt phony religion and we learn how to simply walk with God every day. It's straightforward and it's straight from the word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org that includes free Bible studies and videos to answer your questions and build your faith. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out and contact us at getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode for you, so let's go. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright. I want to welcome all of the family of faith from around the globe, from Russia to Germany, from Georgia to Virginia. We love you so much. And today's show is going to bless us all so much. Did you know that God is very personal and very individual? And you're going to hear some incredibly specific examples of that individuality and how God calls us as individuals. And he has called you to a great work. And we have our incredible friend and minister, Trish. You've heard her before. She was raised by a true five-fold ministry, and her heart is pure to ensure that the truth of God's word goes out across all nations to those who sincerely want all of God. So God has called you to a great work, and today we are going to hear about what it means to be called of God. So without further ado, we're going to launch into this awesome program, this amazing message from our wonderful friend, Trish. I want to share with you the wonderful time I've been having in the Spirit, visiting with Apostle Paul. He's the most wonderful soul, the most wonderful servant of God. And his capacity to love is so great. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 1, um, verse 1. And Paul, what he's doing here is through Corinthians, Paul taught the church how to behave. That's what he taught. How to have a Christian walk, how to walk before the Spirit of God. Because they're all coming out from under the law and under these old teachings. And he's teaching them a whole new way. And the Gentiles are coming in and they're coming out of all their pagan everything. And uh, the worldly life that they lived and their worldly behaviors. And so he's got quite a job on his hands, but he's got the ability to do it. And he put the churches in order. He put the church in order. So in 1 Corinthians 1, let's start in verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother. Now, Sothenes was the chief ruler of the synagogue. So here, Paul, look at the kindness he shows and the humility. He wasn't beating his own chest, and it's just me, the big guy here. He's including Sosthenes, who was the chief ruler of the synagogue, and showing him um, that respect. Is he, he's setting the people up to look, everybody, we're in this together. So I looked at that and I thought, well, what does it mean to be called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? What does that actually mean? 
through the will of God. Now, the first thing to remember is Paul wasn't set up by a board. Nobody voted on it and decided he should fill that role. It wasn't man appointed, in other words. He was called by God himself. So let's read the story of how God did this. So I'm going to go back to Acts 9 and in verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Whoa, this was one gnarly dude. He was really something. Now, Saul was a, born around the same time Jesus was born. So Jesus has been crucified here. I'd say Paul was maybe in his mid to late 30s. That's about how he was young. He was young yet. He was full of all sorts of you-know-what and vinegar. And, you know, he was just all out. He was raised a Pharisee, but he knew the teachings of the Sadducees. And he just figured, wow, these people are just going overboard here. They've crossed the line, these ones that are preaching Jesus. And he was, oh, he was livid over it. Didn't quite know why. He just, in his own mind, according to his own understanding, figured they were in great error. Anybody that was preaching Jesus was moving people from everything that he'd been taught and everything he knew about, and they needed to be, they needed to number one, be removed, and they needed to be punished, reprimanded, or eliminated, which means he was ready for slaughtering them. So here he is, he's going to the high priest, and he's a man on a mission, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, speaking of Christians, anybody talking about Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's planning on getting a note from the authorities, the high priest, so that he can walk into all the synagogues along the way and check them out and see if any of them are professing Jesus. And he was going to lock them up. He was going to throw them in chains and bring them along and throw them in prison. So he's gathered, He's on a mission to gather as many of these troublemakers as he possibly can. So that's his mindset. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Whoa. And suddenly, if it was sudden, there was no warning. Suddenly, there shined round about him a light from heaven. Bam. And he fell to the earth. It was so powerful, it struck him down and he literally, the power of it, thrust him off of his horse and he fell to the ground. And heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now think about it for a second. You're on a mission. You're headed out. You're just all hyped up and chomping at the bit to just get vindication at every turn. And you're smacked down off your horse. You're flat on the ground. And all of a sudden, there's a voice speaking out of the air. I think that's going to cause you to pause for a second. And not only was there a voice coming out of thin air, 
it was calling him by name. Now, my husband's had that happen. He had it happen as a testimony. Now, see, this is a testimony to Paul and a testimony to the men that are with him as witnesses so they can verify that this actually happened. My husband was standing in a hallway and there was one that had once walked with us, but he turned and he betrayed the cross of Christ. And he turned unto some other belief, some other lie that was spoken into his ear that turned him against the people of God at that time. But David stood fast. He was a true prophet of God. And what God did is out of thin air, not out of a person, out of thin air, he spoke out loud his voice, his name, David, David. And the man that was standing there, and it was a witness to who David was, that God knew him, God put his approval on him, and the other one as testimony and a mark against him if he didn't listen and adhere to what David had to say and start honoring the Spirit of God, not David, but the Spirit of God and the appointment of God in him. That one just stood there and turned white, just white, and looked around and his mouth dropped. But he never did get it right, even though God gave such a witness to him. He never got it right. Well, when he stands before the Lord on Judgment Day, he'll give account for why he didn't adhere and acknowledge and listen to a prophet and to the voice of God. Well, here these men, there they are. They bear witness of what's happening to Saul besides what Saul is experiencing. Oh, my Lord. Here's this voice. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Woe was that a wake-up moment. There he was, absolutely furious against the Lord and wanting to cut off everybody and anybody that spoke of him. And there the Lord himself, the Lord God, is speaking to him in an audible voice. Can you imagine what went through his soul in that moment? That wake-up moment? Do you know every soul in one way or another has their own wake-up moment when they truly, truly have that calling and visitation from the Lord? There's a moment when you have that realization that God's real. He is real. All right. And he, speaking of Paul, trembling. Well, I think you'd shake. He was trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Do you notice the change there? First, when he headed out, he was calling all the shots. He was deciding where he was going to go. He was deciding what he was going to do. All of a sudden, God is large and in charge and actually 
gets right through and speaks directly to the man's soul. And what does Paul answer? Oh, what wilt thou have me do? Now God's got his attention. Now he's doing, you will know when somebody is truly converted. Because what they're going to do is they are going to ask God what God wants them to do. Not be telling God what he's going to do for them. They're going to stop and they're going to ask God, what do you want me to do? What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So right away, what we have happening here is an interaction in the spirit, a true godly interaction where Saul, who became Paul, was renamed Paul because there was a complete remake and a complete turnaround. And he's going, okay, what do you want me to do? And then he's listening to instruction. He's getting the instruction from the Lord and he's following it. Here's your earmarks when you know somebody is truly following the Lord. Not just tooting their own horn and doing their own thing. They are truly following the Lord. They're going to be waiting on God. They're going to be listening to God. They're going to be asking him what he wants them to do. And they are going to be doing what God tells them to do. Now here, the Lord God is speaking to Paul in an audible voice. This is one way that he's started speaking to Paul, having to get his attention. Okay, now God's got his attention. All right, so you get up and you go to the city and then you just sit and wait, buddy, because there I'll tell you what to do. So he's training him how to settle down, here's a key, and how to get quiet. There's another key, and how to wait on him. There's a working right away, instantly, from the moment God got a hold of Paul, he began to train him. So don't think it odd that the, from the moment that God gets a hold of your soul, and you have that awakening moment, however it is, whether it's quiet, whether it's loud, but there's a moving in your soul, and every soul has that point when there's that moment where they have to make that choice. Are they going to follow him or are they not going to follow him? Are they going to hear him or are they going to do it their own way? Are they going to listen and obey or are they going to try and call the shots and tell God what to do for them or tell God how he is and how he should behave? You're going to watch and see the behaviors and you'll know the true from the phony. That's how you'll know. So there he is. You get up off the ground and go to the city and you wait there. And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless. Well, what could they say? They just witnessed something that was by nature, by the mind of man, was absolutely and utterly impossible. That's when you know God's on the scene. That's when you know that God is on the scene. Love it. Okay. So they didn't say a word. 
hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So what happened, that light was so bright, it literally scarred the front of his eyes. And it caused this scaling to be on, his, on the front of his eyes, and he couldn't see. It damaged them. But God knew what he was doing. He's God. He made eyeballs. He knows what he's doing. That's how big God is. That's how large your faith is when you receive him. Oh, bless God. So it's an exciting journey Paul's on now. Oh my gosh, God's got a hold of him. How wonderful it is when God actually really, for real, gets a hold of you. So they brought him by hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight. You notice how the Lord had him sit there? You set your little tea hinder down here and you learn how to be quiet and you learn how to wait on me and you learn how to be subject to me because you're not going anywhere, buddy, until I say. What a blessing that is when God does that. And neither did he eat nor drink. Well, whoa, I don't think anything of this life has any bearing anymore from this point when a soul's gone through a visitation like that. And it doesn't matter if your visitation is as dramatic as Paul's. Paul was called to a very high calling. It doesn't matter if it's just a quiet interaction between you and God. It's an interaction between you and God. It's a realization between you and God. It's a conversation that is now started between you and God. So things are going to start happening when you start talking to him. You notice right away, Paul acknowledged him. He began to talk to him and he obeyed him. Now he's sitting down on his tea hinder having to wait and he hasn't got any desire for anything of this life. His flesh is being put under and put aside. It's always good when you put that unruly flesh under and put it aside. Okay, so this is going on in one spot. Now in verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision. Now here's God talking again, but this time he's talking in a vision to a faithful servant of God. That's how you can tell they're gods. Ananias. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. Right away, Ananias, obviously he was faithful because he heard and he answered. God called him by name in a vision and he answered and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Whoa, stop the bus here. Okay, now I think every Christian at that time in those areas knew who Saul of Tarsus was. So let's just see what Ananias, how he reacts to this. And he says, okay, he, behold, he's praying. Saul is praying? Wow. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive a sight. Well, how limited is God? He's not. 
How do you know you're connected with God? Well, God here is the focal point. Over on one hand, he's got Saul sitting on his tea hinder. Over the other side, he's got a disciple that's faithful. He's talking to Saul now in a vision, in a revelation. See, he's talking to Saul in all sorts of different ways. Okay, so now he's giving a vision to Saul, and he's given this vision to Ananias. So he's telling Saul that Ananias is going to come and he's going to lay hands on you and you're going to get your sight back. At the same time, he's telling Ananias, you're going to go over there. Saul's waiting for you because I'm talking to him. The same time I'm talking to you and you're going to do this and he's waiting for you. So how do you know when somebody's been communing with God? How do you know when somebody walks up to you and you've never seen them before? You don't know who they are, but what comes out of their mouth is exactly what God just told you. Who do you think they've been talking to? So what are you going to listen to? What are you going to acknowledge? You're going to acknowledge that they've visited with God. That is how you're going to know them. I watch for that all the time. I don't look at the personage. I don't care who they are. I don't care what color they are, race, creed, background, nothing. I listen to what is coming out of them. I listen to that visitation from God. God talking to me, God talking through them. And I know when it's God talking. Why? Because I interact with him personally. And I know how he sounds. I know how he feels. And that is why I will always send every soul that ever comes into earshot of me, whether in my physical presence or out over the airwaves, go directly to God, get to know his voice, communicate with him. And that way you will know when he's speaking through someone else get to know him personally, work from there. So Paul's working from the throne. Ananias is working from the throne. So here's Ananias. Okay, so there's Paul. So Lord, you're telling him I'm coming? Okay, I wonder how he reacts to that. Then Ananias answered the Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. See, that's what Ananias is saying. Is this the same guy? I've heard about him. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, in this rendition here, it doesn't speak of it, but I've got a condensed version. I'm going to cover this because of time. We've got a lot of territory to cover. But Ananias, when he went there, he did prophesy to Paul all things that he was going to do, and he gave him instruction. So there's another way that Paul received instruction. He received it through the mouth of a prophet through the mouth of a messenger that received a message from God. So when you have a Christian walk, you have a real true relationship with the Lord. When somebody comes before you that is a messenger of God, when somebody truly, truly has a connection with God, they will immediately stop, bow their knee in the spirit. Doesn't mean they have to physically do it, but you'll feel it. They'll give place and honor you, and they will listen to what the Lord has to say 
through you because they will know that you're coming just like Paul knew Ananias was coming and they will also recognize the voice of the Lord when he speaks regardless of what you look like or who you are. That's how you'll know they honestly have a true interaction and working relationship with the Lord. Now, I've seen people when I walk in and I begin to speak, they'll automatically stop when I'm under the anointing. They will stop and they will listen because it is the ear of the Lord in that soul listening. And that soul is giving place to the spirit of the Lord and giving reverence and respect to the spirit of the Lord. But remember, a servant of God is very large and very patient very long-suffering, and when they see someone that isn't quite there yet, they tender them in, just like Paul here. He's very kind here. I'm giving a background so you can understand and know how to recognize when somebody has that kind of anointing in their life, when they truly, truly have an interactive relationship with the Lord. And I listen for that. I watch for that. And like I said, I don't regard the outward appearance. I listen for that voice of God through an anointed vessel, regardless. So here we are. Ananias is listening. So God says, I'm going to show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So what did Ananias do when he heard what the Lord had to say? Do you think he kicked up a fuss? Do you think he contended with Lord? No, because he's a servant of the Lord. He's a faithful disciple of the Lord. A faithful disciple of the Lord will immediately hear what God has to say and will obey it. And Ananias went his way. He got up and he did what God asked him to do and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh my gosh. God loves to prove himself. If you let him be God, if you want to dictate how he can act, what he's like, what he should be doing, not so much. But if you're willing to listen to him, and obey him, and respect him, and honor him, then he will prove himself to you over and over again, because you're going to be walking together hand in hand, just like Paul and Ananias here. They're meeting together. So Ananias told him everything that God told him, and Paul's right away knowing, obviously, this man talks to God. That's how you know. Is, is it connecting the dots now? <laughs> It gets really fun then, because then there's no limit. All the limits are taken away. It's an open venue between you and God, and you just watch for him where he pops up here and there, and how he pops up, and who can hear him, and who can't. Who needs prayer and help yet? Maybe a deeper understanding yet? And you pray, and God will give you that extension for them, per adventure. And we'll get into that in a bit. So there he is. He came and he laid hands on him. Immediately, 
when he did that, he says, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Whoa. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. He didn't waste any time. You notice how when you really have an interaction with God, when you really truly have an interaction with God, you do it right away? Oh, yeah. You don't waste any time. He got in there and he got baptized. He was told what to do. He got the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He got his sight back. He got baptized. Do you think he was a little happy? A little bit excited? Okay. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. So right away, now he's got an appetite because he's got a job before him to do. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples that were at Damascus. So he stayed for this certain number of days. He doesn't say how many days. It doesn't matter. But he stayed with them certain days with the disciples and got built up. So what did he do? And straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues. Oh, presto, change switcho. Here he is. He was going there to try and tie them up in chains and take them into prison and all the rest of it. Now he's walking into the synagogues professing Christ. Whoa, he's telling his testimony of what happened to him. He was full of zeal. He was absolutely full of zeal. Not necessarily a lot of understanding and knowledge yet, but a lot of zeal. And he's got that infilling of the Holy Ghost to guide him, teach him, and train him. We're going to see that as we go. So he's in there. He's preaching Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither to that intent? that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. They heard he was coming, and they heard what he was purposed to do. And go, wait a minute, time out, time out, time out. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. He was absolutely compelling. His zeal, was he was on fire, and he was absolutely compelling. So here's the Jews going, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. They said, "This we got to put a stop to this. This isn't going to fly. We got to get rid of this guy. So they counseled together and they conspired to kill him. But their laying a wait was known of Paul. Well, think about it for a second. How awesome is it to have a true, real, honest interaction with God. Guess what? If he can tell him that Ananias was coming, don't you think that same God is capable of telling you when there's treachery at hand and somebody's coming to kill you and where they're going to be and how they plan to do it? How many times has a prophet come up and just said, well, I heard such and such and such and such. And you go, how'd you know? <laughs> well, God is God. There's no limit. There's no limit and there's nothing hidden in the Lord. Nothing. And if he does show anything to a prophet, it's only for good, for your protection, for your benefit. So here the Lord obviously has shown Saul what they're planning on doing. Their laying await was known of Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So they're sitting at the gates and they're saying, okay, they're out at the gates. They're just waiting to catch you. They got a trap laid there. So then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. 
So there they go. They set this guy in the basket and hike him over the wall to escape. God will always give you a way to escape. If you're here to do a job yet, nobody's going to be able to lay a hand on you because God's going to tell you what's going on. And he's going to tell you, they're that way, you go this way. Yeah, he'll give you a way of escape. No matter what it is, no matter where it is, no matter how it is, he'll show you how to do it. So how fun is it to have a real honest interaction with God? It is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I also watched a prophet. who God took him out in a, you're going to see, he does this with Saul, but God took him out into the, oh, way out into the boonies, way up, somewhere up in some horrible place. And he was out in the mountains and he had no income. So he would have to go up into the mountains and he couldn't find his way for nothing. So he would go out in the mountains and every single time he'd go out there, he would be hunting for mushrooms, for food, for money. He'd pluck up these very valuable mushrooms for money because there wasn't a job to be bought. So he'd go out there and the Lord in doing this, being out in this wilderness place, the Lord taught him how to hear his voice and follow his direction. And he said every single time he went out there, he'd get lost. And every single time the Lord would say, turn this way, turn that way, go here, go there. And he would walk him out. One time he was in there and this little boy was in there and, and lost. And he was crying and he, he didn't know how to get out because those woods are thick. They're not friendly. It's not a... a pleasant environment. And David just took him under wing and he says, don't worry, son, you'll be fine. Come with me. I'll show you a way out. David was lost too, but he didn't say that to the boy. He said, just come with me, follow along. Why? Because he knew the Lord would lead them. And I've watched David do that. I watched in a prophet. This is how you know they have a connection with God. This is how you'll know you have a connection with God. Because they'll say, oh, just go in here and you just do it. Next thing you know, you'll find out why the Lord told you to go in there. How many times has that happened? It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So God, in that, in that exercising, and he did, he and the little boy did get out. And that little boy was so happy. And David was very happy too. And once again, the Lord rescued him and I would watch him and he would turn left and he would turn right and he'd turn left and he'd turn right and he'd come right up to the spot we needed to be. And I'd go, wow, it's really something to feel that and to live that. God is amazing. All the limitations are removed, folks, when you really, truly serve the true living God. They're removed. You just follow the constraints and the, and the instruction of the Lord. Oof, it's wonderful. So there it is. There's Paul being let down in this basket. Okay. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, so they let him down and he went to Jerusalem. He essayed to join himself to the apostles. Now he wanted to join the apostles. I mean, this guy's full of zeal, but remember who he is. It's very fresh in everybody's mind who and what he is or was. Let's make that very clear. Was. Okay. They knew his reputation. Okay, we don't go by that, though. We go by what God says. So he came in there, and he wanted to be with them, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They weren't going to go by his word. What is he trying to do, draw us out and trick us? But Barnabas took him 
and brought him to the apostles. Now Barnabas knew the record that Paul bore and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Whoa, here we are. Now we're hearing a report from somebody that's tried, true, been proven. You see, God, he proves a soul. He tries them and he proves them. Well, this was a, a proven soul that had they knew would bring a true report. And they go, okay. And he told them how he preached boldly in the name of Jesus, at Damascus, in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Okay, they tried to, they were ready. They were going to kill him. All right. Now, these are, are ones that have been around the block. They knew the workings of the heathen, of the enemy of the cross, which when the brethren knew, they brought him, speaking of Saul, down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Say, so, okay, we got to get you right out of this area. You're not safe here. We're going to send you away from here. Don't, don't linger here. They're seeking to kill you. Let's get you somewhere safe. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and they were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. They were many, they were multiplied then. See, Paul's testimony went out. Paul had to leave the scene periodically because there was a big campaign started. When you've got the real thing, there's always going to be some spirit that's going to rise up to try and diminish you, to try and nullify you, to try and put you down and put you under it, to stop up your voice, stop up your influence. There's always going to be some spirit that's just going to, oh, poo-poo. Oh, you don't really know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. And they'll counteract. What they did then, they tried to kill them in the natural. Today, they try and kill you in the spirit by cutting off your influence. And they can do it in a lot of different ways. When you walk in a room, they can snub you instead of revere you. They can set you over in a corner and they can take the chief seat and set you off somewhere over in the corner, which diminishes your authority. There's a lot of different ways spirits can do it. Or they'll start a campaign speech um, undermining you and um, speaking against you. So there's a lot of ways killing your influence. So there's, if you just watch it out there, you'll see it. It's going on all the time. All right. So Paul had to tuck away. He had to get away until all this uh, memory of him settles down. This campaign against him and all this memory of who he was and everything. They're gonna, time's gonna move on and it's gonna be a distant memory until it's eradicated away. But what's gonna linger with the Christians is the fact that, whoa, look at who got converted. This incredible, amazing miracle of God. That'll stand and they'll pass it around amongst each other. But Paul will be hidden away. So, what does God do when, um, 
God had to tuck him away. And there are times, like recently, when we were driving along, Brother David, he just was hit with a realization of what was going to happen. Uh, there was an event that was going to take place of great treachery that was going to take that platform that the Christians stood on and replace it with a fake platform that warred against Christian principles. And it was like a blow in his gut. And he said, oh, he actually groaned. And he said, Lord. And, and between him and God, sometimes you'll hear him talk out loud, but most of the time he's talking in the spirit to the Lord. But I have my ear open for both. I have my ear exercised in the spirit and open to hear both. And I wait. And he talked to the Lord and he asked the Lord. He said, Lord, why? Why? Because he knows it wouldn't happen except the Lord allow it. Nothing's going to happen except the Lord allow it. Because God, whether anybody thinks so or not, it doesn't matter what they say. He is large and in charge. He really is. Nobody's getting away with anything. Never have. Never will. So anyway, and the Lord said, well, they haven't had their bellies filled enough yet. In other words, the true wickedness of that other movement or that other spirit, uh, whatever it was, they had to discover it for themselves because they were buying into the spin or whatever that other movement was doing. And David knew at that time, he said, okay, so the Lord said, no, they haven't had enough yet. They need to get sickened of it. They need to see what its real, its true nature really is. And he said, just hide under my wing until my indignation be passed. Because when there's a wicked movement, the indignation of the Lord is loosed. And when that happens, there's going to be judgment. The axe is going to fall. Things are going to happen. But what does a Christian do? What did Paul do? He went and tucked away. And there is scripture for it. Over in Isaiah 26, 20, it says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, tuck away, and shut thy doors upon thee, and hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. That's exactly what he said to that prophet. That's exactly what he said. Because after he finished talking to the Lord, I said, what the Lord show you? And he reiterated it to me. When you're in tune with God, you will know when God's talking to somebody. You'll know. When there's a profound movement in their soul, you'll feel it. So ask the Lord to give you that quickened discernment. And you have to be quiet to hear it. You have to be in tune. You can't have your head rattling around with all its thoughts and its ideas and its itinerary and its busyness. Slow down. Chill. Like Paul had to learn to do. Just chill. Get still. Get quiet. Observe. Listen. And then you'll get your answers. And it'll be wonderful. And it'll be the right answers. So over in Psalms 91.1, he said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Tuck away behind him his word. Tuck in. Psalms 31.20, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. When the natural mind is puffed up and it's got a warfare raging against you, wherever it is, however it is, whether it's one or whether it's many, just tuck in with the Lord. He'll, he'll keep you. 
Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. They can yap all they want. You just go tuck in with the Lord. They're only yapping to their own hurt. They're only yapping to their own hurt. You go tuck in with the Lord. You just rejoice in him. You just smile at him. You interact with him. You ask your questions and get your answers from him. He'll affirm you. He'll affirm you. But nonetheless, you and he are tucked in. And he'll keep you from the strife of tongues. He'll keep you from it. So you don't have to be troubled by it and torn up by it. Go tuck away. Walk away. If things start getting heated, walk away. Tuck in. Start smiling at the Lord. Lord, give me peace. Peace in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. All right. So here's Paul. They sent him away. Go hide here while, all, while this settles down. While all of this settles out and settles down. So over in Galatians 2, verse 1, then 14 years after, or 14 years later. So it was a good period of time. Paul was busy during this time. He was busy, just like David was out picking mushrooms. He was being taught how to hear the voice of the Lord. Paul was being exercised in obeying the Lord and being able to convey his word, understand his word in a deeper way. Paul will describe it here in these next scriptures. Okay, so 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. So obviously there's ones that are gathering around Paul and they're growing strong. So this is 14 years later with interaction with God. When you're interacting and being raised up by God, you're getting pretty skillful, very skillful. And this is what Paul had to say when he emerged again over in Galatians 1, verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. He said, I didn't go to be taught by any man. I didn't go to any school to get a diploma. I went and tucked away, and I talked to the one that talked through the air and cast me down blind and then healed my sight and filled me with his spirit and did amazing and wonderful things. I talked to him. He's the God of all creation. He's the one that taught me. Boy, if he can make all things and he can give back a person's sight, I think he's the one you want to listen to. I think he's the one you want to go and talk to. So Paul's saying, that's the one who taught me. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He was taught by the revelation in the Spirit. God opened that quickened understanding to him. When you wait on him and you're reading the word, have you ever noticed that? When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden that word is going to, things are going to pop into your head and you're going to get a quickened understanding of it and it starts coming alive. And the more you do it and the deeper you go with him, the more that's going to happen and you just get stronger and stronger. And it's like, whoa, I read that a hundred times and I never saw that before. Now I see it. And all that excitement comes up in you. Why? Because you're interacting with God and he's teaching it to you by revelation. Whoa. That's when you know you have a true connection. How wonderful is that? He's saying, look, this is where I got it from. This is my credentials. Those are the credentials you look for. That's what you look for. You listen for that voice of God. You will know when God's speaking through someone, when you know him yourself. 
It's wonderful. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Look at the humility here. God counted me worthy. God counts you worthy when you listen to him, when you really want him, when you put him first, when you say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What do you want, Lord? I'm here for you. Who was before a blasphemer? He says, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious that I did injury to the people of God. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. That's why God was merciful with him. He was ignorant. He didn't know. He didn't understand. He was under unbelief. He was doing everything he knew to do with all his heart by what he'd been told and taught. How many people out there are in that state right now? How important is your steadfast prayer, your compassion, and your love for the human race right now? For those souls out there that are caught like Paul was before God visited him. How is God going to visit them? You pray for them. And you open your mouth when God gives you that utterance. Be that ready, willing vessel to be that voice of God. Be that ready, willing vessel that will pray for those miraculous moments and movements that only the hand of God can do. And you know you can do it from your closet. Do you know you have the power to do and loose those prayers from your closet? When you believe God, there are no limits. No limits. Now, God had an appointed time, an appointed hour for Saul. There's many out there. They have their appointed time. They have their appointed hour. I know I did. I did. And when that hour came, I heard the Lord's voice and I listened and I obeyed. They will hear the Lord's voice and they will listen and they will obey and they'll want more. Did you want more when you heard the truth? Yeah. Did it start getting better and better and better? Has it gotten any better? <laughs> I see some smiling, nodding faces. Oh, yeah. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. <laughs> it is wonderful. It's a wonderful, miraculous walk. Beautiful, miraculous walk. So just believe him, just trust him, and just keep going forward. So Paul said, look, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I'm going to go over to Numbers here. It covers that again here in Numbers 15, verse 28. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. This is huge, people. Understand this. When he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, there's a forgiveness for that, and it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel, born with the Holy Ghost, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them, that was grafted in, that got converted. 
So they're both the same, whether you were born with the Holy Ghost or you came into the ministry and were baptized and converted and received the Holy Ghost. It applies. If you're doing something out of ignorance, you don't realize that it's the wrong thing that you're doing, the wrong behavior, the wrong thing you're uh, buying into. There's a forgiving for that. All right. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance. But in verse 30, it says, but the soul that doeth aught presumptuously. Big difference. This is where it gets scary. Whether he be born in the land, born with the Holy Ghost, or a stranger grafted in and baptized into the Holy Ghost, the same reproacheth the Lord, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. To be presumptuous, to sin presumptuously, it means you've been told. You've been given that instruction. You've been fed the word. You've been given that correction or whatever it is that God has to let your soul be aware of that behavior. And if you are presumptuous, you think you know better. There's a high-mindedness that comes with presumption. You think you know better. You think that other person is beneath you. They don't know what they're talking about. And you're blowing God off. When you do that to anointed, the anointed word of God, and you've been warned and you've been instructed and you've been told, and you presumptuously go ahead and do it anyway. You persist in that behavior that God said, this doesn't line up with me. This is not me. Then you're in trouble. You're in great peril because you're doing it knowingly and willingly. All right. Because he hath despised the word of the Lord. When somebody comes to you with the true anointing and the word of the Lord, and you just blow them off, you're despising the word of the Lord. And hath broke, broken his commandment. That soul shall utterly be cut off, and his iniquity shall be upon him. Because he was warned and he knew better. He'd been taught and he'd been trained. He'd been told. There's the difference between the two. So just walk with wisdom. And when the Lord is before you, number one, say, Lord, help me to recognize your, your voice. You know, my people know my voice. Talk to God and then hear him when he talks to you. And see how he talked in different ways to Paul. He talked in different ways. He talked through Ananias. That was a person coming to him speaking to him that got the word of God for him. God does it that way. You can't all of a sudden cherry pick and say, I only want it one way. I want it by, oh, I want it by revelation between you and me because I want to be the big kahuna. No. If you're doing that, he might cause somebody else to come and tell you that maybe doesn't look up to snuff in your estimation. You may be thinking down on them or thinking light of them or whatever. Watch yourselves. Make sure you're prayed up and you hear that anointed voice and take it seriously. That's just a precautionary thing I'm laying down in you to keep you reverent and respectful and careful before the Lord. All right. Now let's go on. Now that we've got a groundwork laid 
of who Paul is, how he became that, how you can recognize that. Let's go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corneth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, here Paul is unifying the people of God. He's giving them a bigger understanding. Because remember, the natural mind, it goes by feel, touch, sight, whatever is in front of them, and that natural reasoning, and they read their books and have been taught by science and all the rest that the world puts out there. He's going, okay, we're getting rid of all that. We're going to check that out. We're going to move by the Spirit now. We're going to see and know and understand by the Spirit. All right, so here's Paul preparing to unite the church and give them a deeper and better, broader understanding of the Lord. Now, to them that are sanctified, and here he's putting the qualifiers that that word sanctified jumped out at me. So I said, Lord, what does it mean to be sanctified? And he said, over in Acts 15, in verse 8, it refers to it. And God, which knoweth the hearts. That's what God's looking for. He knows the heart. See, the heart, Can you when you look at a person, can you see their heart? No. They got bones and a rib cage and all those other, you know, skin and muscles and everything. You can't see their heart. God can, though. He can see the heart. He can see the heart in the spirit. And when you walk with him, you will see people's heart in the spirit. And he's actually shown me that. He's actually shown me the soul and that true, beautiful, pure heart. It's the most incredible thing. And you can't handle it with flesh and blood. It's damaging to handle it with flesh and blood. It's so tender. It's so delicate. It's so fragile. That's why I'm careful with the human soul. I'm very careful. So sanctify, God knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, and he bears witness to it, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Now that's how he gives the witness that God saw your heart, he'll give them the Holy Ghost. And that's a demonstration that God did that for them. God was calling them. And he saw that beautiful, tender heart. So he gave them that Holy Ghost as a witness that God has touched that person. Put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. He says, look, if, if, that, if God has touched that person over there, you've never seen them, you've never met them before, and God saw their heart and he gave them the Holy Ghost, there's no difference between them and us. He saw them, he saw their heart. He gave them that. So there's no difference here. So don't create a difference. He's talking to those people. All right, our Lord, who is our Lord? He says, now God has sanctified them in Christ Jesus to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now you have familiar friends. What about the group over there that God has plucked out, chosen and or called and filled with his spirit and moved on them? They're all the same. Because it's not a different God. It's the same God. All right. And he put no difference. So who is our Lord? 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, 
and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him, both theirs and ours. So in Romans 3, 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, there is no difference. There's no difference. If they're believing, they're believing. Remember how I, I was telling earlier how you recognize it? How Paul recognized Ananias? And Ananias knew Paul because they'd been talking to God. There's your connector point. And they'd never seen each other before. But they were connected because it was God, that same God. Theirs and ours. We know them. Oh, they're right there. God knows them. So how do you know them? Through God. No difference. Paul's saying, look, there's no difference. Okay, over in Luke 9, 49. Well, this is really interesting. When Jesus was walking on the earth and he's teaching these upshoots, okay, he's teaching a few things. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name and we forbade him because he followed not with us. We told him he couldn't do that. He was casting out devils in the name of Jesus and they were leaving. And he says, we forbade him. Oh, dear. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Hello? He's doing the work that God called him to do according to the purpose that God gave to him. You know, I go and visit family members at times. And I was walking through this park area and twice now I've walked through this park area and there was this group of people in a circle and they're singing praises to the Lord. And every time I go walking by them, I go walk to my car. As soon as I get up to them and I hear they're singing praises to the Lord and I don't know who they are and they don't know who I am, I put my hand in the air honoring God because they're honoring God. I'm going to honor God with them. I'm going to join with them. I'm going to recognize that they're honoring God to all of their ability and all the understanding that they have. And if God doesn't speak in my ear to jump in the middle and try and do this or do that, if he doesn't do that, I don't care. It's not my business. They are what they are. They're praising God. They're doing it with all of their ability, with all of their hearts, with all of the understanding that they have. And God isn't speaking in my ear to do anything more than just acknowledge them and just be thankful. And I'm thanking the Lord that there are ones out there that are singing to him and praising him and rejoicing. I don't need to get in the middle of the mix. No, not unless God told me to. If God told me to, that would be different. If God spoke to me like he spoke to Ananias, that would be different. But if God doesn't speak to me, I'll just rejoice that they're rejoicing in the Lord. I'm not going to tell him, say, you can't do that because you're not with me. Oh, pooey. No. Rejoice that they're loving God with all of their ability. And most of them were young people. So they're hungry out there. They are hungry out there. So just have your ear open in the spirit to know when there is a soul that is appointed to go into those deeper places. Not all are. You know, many habitations. My father's house has many mansions. So for us personally, for me personally, for me personally, I will speak for myself personally. I've been well taught by an apostle who dug out those mysteries. And for myself, 
I'm not going to go to a lesser understanding. I'm not going to go to a lesser understanding. I'm going to maintain what God has given me. If any want a more of a fullness, I have it for them. If they don't want it, I'm not going to force it on them. I'm going to allow God to be God and bring each one forward as he sees fit, each one according to what they're able to bear. You know, some have limitations. They can only go so far. But as for me, I'm not going to lag behind or go to a lesser place. I'm going to stand where I stand and I'm going to keep pressing forward and pressing for more every single day. I'm not going to stop content and put my feet up and say, well, I can coast now. No, I'm going to press every single day for more. Pressing forward in the Lord for guidance and, and knowing where he wants me to be and what I need to be doing each and every day. Do I ever do that, dear? Yeah. So do thou likewise for your own personal walk in your own personal life according to what God has for your soul to do. That's not for me to dictate. It's for you to know between you and God. And when you're talking to God and you have a specific question and you may hear it come out of another's voice, you know that they've heard God and that God is giving an answer and confirming it to you. He does stuff like that too. It's amazing, isn't it? It's really fun when you can work outside the limitations of this life. Whoa! And access the God of all creation. All right, forbid him not, for if he's not against us, he's for us. Hey, Grace be unto you. Now, here is a really interesting thing. Now, here, Paul, he says who he is, and I explained who he is. And he said, we're all the same. It's one God here, whether they're with us or whether they're with them. It's God picked them. God affirmed them. All right. So he said, grace be to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you, I stop for a minute. What is he actually saying to those people? See, he's going to a group of people that need help. They need a deeper understanding. But look how kind he is. And the first thing he's asking for is grace. And that word jumped off the page. And I says, well, what, what is he actually asking for? Now, this is important. And I looked up the meaning of grace. And it's the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Now, see, he's asking, Lord, I want your anointed word that's coming out of me right now to have a divine influence on the hearts here. And I want it to reflect in their lives. What a beautiful thing to pray, including gratitude. I want them to be grateful for what I'm giving them. Acceptable benefit. I want them to accept this benefit. Favor, gift. He's doing you a favor if he's giving you more understanding. Paul said, I'm doing them a favor and thank you for this, Lord. And give them understanding. There's a great gift that's being handed to them right now a deeper, fuller, better walk in your spirit so that they don't have a mark on them and they fall short. If you really understand what Paul was actually doing and saying, grace and gracious, joy. 
liberty. He's liberating them from an old behavior, a worldly natural behavior that can cause them to fall short. Pleasure. Thank, thanks, and thankworthy. Lord, cause these people to be thankful for this, to be accepting of it, to receive it, to be able to go forward in it. Of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian values. That all of that is going to take place when you're extended grace. That is what Paul is praying over those people. That's what he's endeavoring to do for those people. When you go to a soul, when God has visited you, and you have that anointed word, you are actually extending that incredible grace to them and everything that is involved in that. So if a soul comes to you with the anointed word of God, realize what an incredible thing that God himself is doing for you by extending his hand of grace and everything that's involved to you, to help you, to benefit you, to free you, to clear you, to bring you forward, to give you more, to make you strong, rejoice in it, accept it, and be glad and be thankful. All of that is all tied together. So Paul, in verse 4, he's, he's prayed that prayer of grace upon them. He said, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ. You know, he's doing it on their behalf. If they don't know how to do it themselves, be large enough of heart in the spirit to do it for them, to pray for them and extend it for them. When you truly want to be like the Lord, know how the Lord feels. Know how to be that bigger person. If you have the greater understanding, then condescend to them, meet them where they are and extend grace to them and kindly, lovingly, caringly bring them forward into a deeper understanding and free them from anything that has them bound or limited, if they will, if they will. All right. That in everything ye are enriched by him, in everything. See, Paul's covering everything. I want you enriched by the Lord today in all utterance and in all knowledge. Now, all utterance, he says all utterance, not just utterance, all utterance. You can utter with your behaviors. Your behavior speaks. Parents, have you ever noticed that? They'll follow what you do, not just necessarily what you say, but what you do too speaks really, really loud. How you behave speaks really, really loud. So he wants them to be exercised and to come be enriched in the Lord in knowing how to behave and what to say. And when you're quiet before him, you're waiting on him, you're listening to him, he will give you the right words to say. And when you're prayed up in that moment, he'll give you the right words to say because you've seasoned his mind in you and you've filled yourself with his spirit and you've given place to his spirit so he can come forward. 
You haven't overridden him with your own wranglings and your own minds and your own difficulties and all the stuff that's rattling around in the gray matter. You've gotten that settled down. You've got it set aside. And then the Spirit of the Lord can flow then. And that's when it comes out beautifully. It's a wonderful thing. It's really fun. And then all of a sudden, you notice you'll have that instant word that pops into your mind. That's really fun. And there it is. I know every one of you have experienced that. It's really good. That are exercised in the ways of the Lord. You have experienced it. Bless God. And if you haven't ever experienced, ask him for it. And he'll give you that seasoned, seasoned word. When you're quiet, it'll just pop in your mind and it'll be there. And if you've been in your word, just get in your word. Pray in that Holy Ghost that he's given you and get in your word. If you don't have any of those tools, ask the Lord for it. He'll show you where to go and where to get it. And that's what he did for Paul when he fell off his high horse. He said, what do I do? And God showed him. He led him perfectly. And he sent people to him. God is good. All right. I want you enriched in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Remember how he confirmed himself in you? He filled you with his spirit. That's how he confirmed you. He filled you with his spirit. You've got that utterance in there. So that ye come behind or fall short in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice there's that waiting again, that patience. You don't have a knee-jerk reaction to anything. You just settle that flesh down. Settle it down. If something comes up that shakes you a little, just get quiet before him. Let him steady your feet, but keep going. Don't stop. Don't fall short in anything. Just keep going. Don't let anything shake you, rattle you, or move you aside. Just keep going forward. Mm -hmm. And wait for that moment when the Lord returns either in the air or for you personally. Because he will, one way or another, he will return. So just keep marching forward. It's so wonderful. All right. Who shall also confirm you unto the end? Do you know God's going to confirm you right to the very end when you're faithful with him? This is a guarantee. That ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean when God says he's going to confirm you? Okay, over in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing. I want you absolutely confident today. When you've given your heart to the Lord and you've embarked on a journey with him, I don't care if you're just raw out of the chute or if you've been walking all your life. I don't care. God is confirming this to you. When you want him, when you're diligent, you're seeking him, you're moving forward, be confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will perform it in you until that day that he comes and plucks you out of this life. Bada bing, bada boom. That's being confirmed. God is confirming that with you today. As long as you stay steadfast, you stick with them and keep moving forward. He will see you through. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's absolutely faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. There isn't anything here that's common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you 
to be tempted above that ye are able. There isn't anything that you're going to be tempted with that's more than you're able to bear. But will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. He'll make a way for you. If you're faced with something, if there's a real trial in front of you, go to the Lord, lean on him, look at him, call to him, interact with him and say, Lord, make a way for me to bear this. Make a way for me to escape this. Make a way for me here, Lord. And he will do it. He guarantees it. That's a promise. Second Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He will do that. He will keep you from evil. Just listen to him. Do it his way. Listen to him. Follow his instruction, and he will keep you from evil. Now, I beseech you, brethren. Now, here's Paul. He's just beseeching them. That means he's just imploring with them. He's all out. Look, this is a man that persecuted the church. He knows what error feels like. He knows where he came from. He knows what peril they're in if they don't listen. And he's beseeching them. I mean, he's not just sitting down and chit-chatting to hear his head rattle. He's all out. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. Have a unified speech and behavior. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He's absolutely imploring with them. Please unite in the same heart and mind. What mind? The mind of the Lord. Okay, over in 1 Peter, I'm going to go over there. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love us, brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Do you see how you should treat each other? Be kind, not rendering evil for evil. If somebody's doing something that's maybe you don't like, they're hurting your feelings, they've got bad behavior, something that they've learned from the world, and it's hitting you across the face, don't turn around and hit them across the face and do the same thing back to them. Don't render evil behavior with evil or railing for railing. Don't get into a match with them, you know? Don't, don't go back and forth. But contrary wise, blessing, knowing that ye are there unto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So if they're going to try and rail on you or bug you or do something, turn around and give a blessing. Be a blessing. Sometimes walking away from the squabble is actually a blessing. Because the squabble goes out when there's no fire. You know, when there's no wood, the fire's going to go out. So walk away. Go into your closet and get your peace back and start praying for that person. Pray that prayer of, of deliverance over them. Pray that prayer that grace will be extended to them so that they can come into a better understanding. Learn how to view them by God's vantage point and get those prayers out like, like Paul is. Because here's a bunch of them, Paul's standing before them, and they're yapping against him. But how is he behaving to them? Kindly, 
with love, beseeching them that they come into a better understanding. So how should you treat each other when that stuff's going on? Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. You want to be doing what's going to bring your soul a blessing. You want to be blessed. If they want to be cursed and they want to remain cursed, that is their call. That is their choice. Don't you go and enter into that curse. Withdraw yourself from it and stand where you need to stand before God and receive a blessing for it. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Don't get into it. Let him eschew or hate evil and do good. If anybody's talking against a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord, just say, oh, la, 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 la. I'm not listening to that. Shut it down now. I'm not going to receive an accusation against a brother. I'm not going to receive that kind of speech in my ears. And if they won't stop, yep, yep, yep. Um, see ya, I've got an appointment now. Yeah, go to your closet and pray. You've got an appointment with the Lord to get your peace back. You don't sit there and bitty hand or bicker. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. So you go and you speak peace. You go and seek peace. And you do that by getting a hold of the Lord. And Lord, just say peace in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lord, fill my heart with love and compassion for this one that has tried me to the nth degree, Lord. And help them. Help them understand a better way. Do you see how you can start praying? And get your compassion stirred up over them instead of me, 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 me. Me, 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 and keeping it going for years. Ah, you don't need that because you're going to fall in the way. It'll take you out. It'll mar your righteous soul. You don't need that. So let go of any rancor that can build up from misunderstandings, miscommunication, or ill behavior, or someone that doesn't have the fullness of the understanding of how to behave in Christ. Pray for them. Love them. Okay, seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, see, that's why you don't want to enter into their behavior. Because the Lord's face is against you then. But his eyes are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. So if you're praying for them, remember Job. And he had miserable comforters. Those miserable comforters when he was in the most needy state and he was so afflicted, they were in there rubbing salt on his wounds with a wire brush. And God says, well, I'm not going to release your captivity until you pray for your friends. <laughs> These friends that caused you so much grief that you had to counteract everything they were saying against you. You got to pray for them. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why? Because it got Job's soul clear. It didn't allow any room for anything to get festering in there at all. So that Job would remain pure and holy and in the favor of God. Now, if anyone doesn't want to receive that, that kindness, that's their choice. But you 
receive it. You go there and you make sure that your soul is in that favorable place before God. That's what's important. You do it between you and God and get your compassions up. And then you'll see whether that soul you're praying for is able to hear the Lord or not, because they'll start changing their ways. They'll start listening to the Lord and they'll start changing their ways or not. But you'll be in the right place and you'll have the right approach and you'll know how to duck out of the room or just say, well, I'm, I'm really busy today. I don't think I can go into the middle of that muck. You don't have to say it that way. <laughs> just say, I'm, I'm really busy today. Thank you so much for the offer. You can be kind or whatever, however the Lord shows you. But don't enter into a situation like that if they're not clear. And pray that they do come clear. And if you need to make amends with each other, if you get into a quabble, then do it quickly. Don't let it fester. Don't let it drag on. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Nobody is going to be able to harm you if you're doing what's good before the Lord. But, and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. If they want to just keep going on and on and on and run you down or do whatever they're doing, don't be afraid of it. Don't let it bug you. You're good between you and God. Just stay good between you and God and continue to pray for them. Continue to entreat for them as God bids you to do. Just say, Lord, well, how do you view this? What do you want me to do? And just listen to the Lord and do what he tells you to do. But you make sure that your conscience is clear, your soul is clear, and you're not doing anything untoward towards any. And if you have done anything untowards, sincerely talk to the Lord and he will tell you how to make amends. And do it quickly. Knit up quickly. Make amends quickly. Do your part. And if it's received, you've won your brother. And if it's not received and they reject it, you've kept your soul intact. And you endeavored to help your brother come forward or sister, whatever it is. See, Paul's laying it down. He laid it down very, very well for them. And Peter's doing it too. Because it's the same mind. It's the same God. It's the same working in each and every member. All right. Be not afraid and neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Trembling before the Lord, knowing that you give account to God. You've got to keep yourself in the right stance, in the right deportment. Mm -hmm. And that meekness and fear, it, it's a safe place to be. Humility, not high-minded and presumptuous. And in fear, carefulness before the Lord. Very, great carefulness and obedience. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You stand. Just stand where you need to stand. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. You're better off. If you're going to suffer for doing something, suffer for well-doing. Yeah, just suffer for well-doing. If they don't receive you, just stay where you need to be before God. Make sure your soul is clear and don't harbor anything. Okay, first, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions, quarrels, wranglings, and debates among you. Okay, 
There's a divisive nature going on there. See how Paul's getting into the nitty gritty? He's made those declarations, those prayers, and that encouragement over them. He's entreated the Lord for them. Now he's going to go in and he says, okay, Lord, please help these people. And he says, okay, guys, here's the nitty gritty. It's been declared unto me by, by faithful brethren that there have been contentions, quarrels, wranglings, debates among you. Now this I say, and this is what the contention was in this instance. It doesn't matter what kind of contention is. If it's something that's happened that's caused division where people can't even be in the same room with each other because the contention is so great, something's off. If you're of the same spirit, the same mind, same God, God isn't that way. He's not divisive. So just settle it. Settle it. Now, in this case, what was going on, he says, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Well, they were breaking off into little factions. Oh, well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. Yeah, well, I... Well, so I broke down these different personalities to take a look at it. Now, you see, they're dividing themselves off into groups. I'm of this group, and I'm of that group, and I'm of this group. And away they go. Well, how many gods are there? Only one I know of. All right, over in Acts, let's take a little look here at Paulus. I'm going to go into another aspect of uh, the different nature, the natural mind and its reasonings. Acts 18.24, we're going to go into a little bit of the background about Apollos. Now, some of them, they were raised up and they were very familiar with Apollos. So their hearts were connected with him. But see, they're doing it with a natural understanding and a favoritism according to the mind of man, not according to the Spirit of God. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man. There's your key. And mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. Now, eloquent means you're having the power of expressing strong emotions or forcible arguments in an elevated, impassioned, and effective manner. That means he was very charismatic. He knew how to get the crowd going. He knew how to entertain them. He knew how to get them all excited. He had that makeup. He had that personality. So there were a group of them. They liked that. And so, well, we're of him. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He is a wonderful man. He was very fervent. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, the reason I wanted to go into this is I wanted you to know what a pliable heart is like. Now, this man was absolutely fervent. He was on fire and passionate for the Lord. And he was preaching in all the understanding that he had. Now, I've seen ones like this. They have a limited understanding. And I've seen the Lord come with ones that had anointing to give them more. Now, this man was genuine before the Lord. When they're genuine before the Lord and they're really earnest over the people and they truly desire to bring the people to the Lord, not to them, they will be very glad to receive anything of the Lord. Very glad. So he began, he only knew the baptism of John. That's it. 
and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They gave him a more complete understanding of things. Whoa! Well, obviously he received it. He wanted to do it right, and he took it on. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. See, he became an asset then because he entered into a more perfect understanding of the word, a more perfect understanding of what to give to people. And he did it with all his heart. And then he became a benefit to the people. I've seen that where we've gone to give a more complete and perfect understanding and people take it on and then they became a benefit to the work of the Lord. And I've seen others resist. They wouldn't because they wanted to have mastery and control. They weren't concerned about the flock. They were concerned about their own control. And consequently, they wouldn't receive anything more because it freed the people and it set them to the Lord. And they would stumble and it would limit how far they could go. And they would just go off to themselves. By and by, they drifted off to themselves. They erred and drew themselves away. But those that wanted the more, like this man, went forward and became an asset to who? To God, to the Lord, and to the work of the ministry. It's a beautiful thing when you're willing to receive instruction and receive that guidance by the Lord, that grace, that arm of God that it extends to you with a more well-rounded understanding. So receive it with gladness. He helped them much, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. He went through, he knew it, and he's going, here we are. And once he knew a better way, he went with gusto with it. So there were a bunch of them that liked that dynamic personality. Absolutely. But that's the natural mind. And he says, come on, people, you got to come out of that. Over in Corinthians, Paul talks about how he and Apollos work together. He breaks it down here. He says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So they ha all had. Now, Paul, he was rude and crude in speech. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't make it warm and fuzzy. He just spoke, blonk, here it is. That was his makeup. The other one was had flourish and he was entertaining, eloquent, dynamic. But how did God see them? They both were doing what God gave them to do. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is, is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. It's the same working. It's the same God. It's the same mind. It's the same thing they're desiring to accomplish. So why would you sequester one off above the other? It's like, I stand with the apostle, but I don't stand with the prophet. I stand with prophet, but I don't stand with these disciples. Or I don't stand with this one over here, but I'll stand with this one because I particularly like their approach. You know, but the slice and dicer that's a little fiery. Nah, 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 nah. If they really knew 
they would find out that they're all exactly one and the same. They're all one and the same. Mm -hmm. And that's what Paul's saying. We're all one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You have your labor that you work before God. That's all you need to be concerned with. Just do what God shows you to do and keep your own soul holy. Because you're the one you're going to get in there. You're going to offer it to others and their free moral agents and they can choose it. But as for you, you're the one that governs over your member. You're the one that makes your choices and you're the one that's going to stand before God and give an answer. So make sure that your vessel and your work is according to what God has for you. Every other man, they will stand before God according to how God has purposed for them and they will give account between them and God. Mm -hmm. And they will get rewarded according to their labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. It's all one and the same. Cephas. Now Cephas. Now one was dynamic. Paul was rude of speech. Rude and crude of speech. He was an old Roman soldier. Oh my gosh. I'm sure he spit and cussed. You know, like Roman soldiers do. <laughs> behind the barn like farmers do. You know whatever. You got the picture. Now, Cephas, do you know who Cephas was? Anybody know who he was? I'll tell you who he was. I'm going to go into John 1 verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, this is when Jesus was first launched. He findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. He says, oh, come on, come on. You know, when you first heard and somebody told you about it and they said, come, come here. Well, that's what they were doing here. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation, a stone. Peter. So Peter was well known. He was well established. He was one of those first apostles that, at Antioch that stood up and started proclaiming God. So he was, we're familiar with Cephas, so we stand with him. Well, I don't know about this Apollos guy. He's too flowery. And that, that Paul guy, he's, we're with Cephas. No, Paul think, knock it off. No, it's the same God. <sighs> Is Christ divided? That's what Paul's saying. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? Now, look at how Paul did this. He used himself as an example. He didn't point at anybody else. He's using himself. Now, when you're ministering to a soul, this is a good platform to stand on. Don't start going in there pointing fingers. The word of God will go through and you'll hear, you know, when you're listening to the anointed word, sometimes it's going to jump out at you and something will hit you and it may burn. But that's just the fire of God burning something that doesn't need to be there and removing it out of you and causing you to take a look at it and have a conversation with God and say, like Paul did when he was knocked down off that high horse. And he says, well, Lord, what would you have me do? How do you want me to be? Do I need to readjust this? And then you do a, an evaluation between you and God. You don't need to sit there when you're anointed and you're giving the word. You don't need to sit there and point at anybody. Just bring the word out. Okay, so what Paul does is he uses himself as an example. And he said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Was I crucified for you? 
Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were you baptized in my name? Come on, people. Wake up here. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. Over and over and over, what have I said always? Go directly to God. What am I saying now? Go directly to God. What is Paul saying now? Go directly to God. Don't look at the outward appearance. Don't look at the makeup or the personality because every soul is going to minister according to their own personality. And you see these, these were very dramatic and different personalities. Probably look different, act different, but they were saying the same thing. God picked them and used them according to their makeup, according to their personality to get the, exactly the same thing across. So don't segment out and say, well, I'll follow this one or I'll follow that one, but I won't follow this one and I won't, uh, 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 that, no, Paul's saying, no, 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 don't do that. Lest any should say, I baptized in my own name. Oh, no, no. For Christ sent me, over in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I'm not going to try and psychoanalyze it and uh, you know, put my spin on it according to the natural mind or be flowery with you. I'm just going to tell you like it is. That's Paul. I love it. I absolutely love Paul. He's just flat out, right out. I know one's like him. I love it. But I love all of God's people. I've listened to many, many different ones minister. And what I listen to is that voice of God coming through them through that unique personality. And I rejoice in that when I hear how they visited with God and how God has visited with them. And they relay it according to their personality. Okay, some are real dynamic, some not so much. So when I see one that's not so much, I pray, Lord, give them a greater ability. And I go and bless God. I love how, he, how you're talking to them, you know, and you pray for them, whatever. But you stand with them. It's the same God. We're all one. All right. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That's what I look for. In 1 Corinthians 2, 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, not by the letter, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Again, you're getting that ingrained into your mind Go to God and view it by the Spirit and listen to what God has to say, just like Ananias did. And God clarified it to him. And once God clarified it to Ananias, Ananias says, okay, yes, sir, away I go. I'll accept Paul. You accept him, I accept him. Uh, many, many times I've done that. Lord, if you accept them, I accept them. And if they need help, Lord, increase my ability and show that grace to them. And I'll extend whatever I can. Do you know there are times I do understand the fragility and the uh, weaknesses of the human flesh. I do understand it in the natural mind. And I, I do deliberate. An apostle and I many times and a prophet have deliberated when there is a soul that's stumbling, that needs to have a deeper understanding. We will deliberate together. And there were times when she say, well, could you go to this one and give them that? And I'd say, well, just a minute here. Now this one, they do stumble at my makeup and personality. They don't know me really well. They're not that comfortable. Why don't you have this one here that they've known for years? They're very comfortable with them. 
Because the bottom line is, I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I desire that that soul obtain what God has for them. So why don't you have this one that they are used to their voice, they're used to their makeup and personality, have them go and entreat them. And it'll be easier for them to receive. And I've done that many times. Why? Because I want them to get it. I don't want anything to cause them to stumble. I don't. It's the same spirit, the same mind, and the same thing that's going to be conveyed to them, but I don't want anything to cause them to stumble. So I, we deliberate and, yep, yeah, yeah, you're right. Let's get this one to go to them because we want them to get it. We've worked very, very hard for some that they have that every opportunity to be able to receive it. And as they grow in the Lord, they will begin to recognize that it is the same spirit in each one, and it is exactly the same thing that each one is saying. Now, there's a maturity that'll enter in, and that's the maturity that Paul's asking for here. Don't look at the personage. Don't look at the makeup. Don't look at whether you know them really well or you don't know them really well. Listen for my voice. Listen for me talking. And that's when you've got a mature Christian in front of you. But if they're weak, I'm going to make sure that there's nothing that's going to make them stumble. And I, I have actually done that. And an apostle does the same. She'll will weigh it out and take a look at it. Who is the best one to go to this soul to help them, to extend that grace of God to them per adventure? Because we want them to make it. Nobody is out to make a name for themselves. Nobody. And that's what Paul's saying. We're all one and the same and we all work together and we all help each other and work with each other and have the same thing to say. The same mind, same God, one spirit. All the same. All right, we're comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Now over in 1 Corinthians again, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now, the natural mind, when you preach Jesus crucified up on the cross, the natural man at that time and even now, they look at it from the natural vantage point. They don't have any faith. They don't see past this guy that was hung up on the cross. If he's so powerful and everything, how come he couldn't have God? How come God didn't rescue him? You see how the natural mind would view it? That's a loser. That's an absolute loser. He's beaten to a pulp and he's up there with criminals. He must be a criminal. And you want me to worship that? You see the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness. That natural mind. That natural mind is going to be gone, done away with. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Why? Because we go beyond the appearance of him on the cross. We, he's way past that. He went down into the nether parts for three days and rose again and actually overcame death, brought us out from underneath that curse of death, the fear of death, and appeared alive, walking around on the face of the earth after that. I mean, whoo, whoo, whoo. And then ascended above all heavens and then came back in the form of the Holy Ghost. See how far we go past the cross? But the natural mind doesn't get past that. It just sees, what are these guys talking about? How come you're wanting this guy that was hung up on a cross and he was just, can't get it, can't get it. Mm -hmm. 
In 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural mind receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You have to know it by the Spirit. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. All of their reasonings, all of their rationale, all of everything that they think, it's going to be done away with and it's going to fail them. What do you think they're going to say when they stand before God? Oh, boy, was he ever merciful to Saul. Wasn't that something? See how gracious God is when he extends his hand when they raise, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? Well, how foolish are they? They're godless. Foolishness is godlessness. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Why? Because they have to believe on the invisible. They have to believe on all those things that the natural mind can't wrap its head around. The natural mind sees, touch, feels, knows, tangible. I've read it in a book and it says it's this way. I know the laws of science and nature. And God goes, ha, to that stuff. Watch me now. I can give sight to the blind. <laughs> I just don't have to. That's just bam. There it is. Raise the dead. They can't do any of those things. Nothing. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called. Now see, here's the difference. When God calls you, which are called both Jews and Greeks, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's all the same because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, Christ allowed himself to be hung on that cross and he became weak that we would have all power and all deliverance and all authority and be delivered out from under death. For ye see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble are called the wealthy, the highly educated, the ones that have titles, or, or officials, they're very few are called. Why? Because they're puffed up and they trust in their own strengths, whatever they are, whether it's their wealth, whether it's their position, whether it's all the education that they think they have and they're so smart. They literally will not receive God because that doesn't make sense to them. They block God off. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Invisible, speaking out of thin air. Things which are not. Bringing to naught things that are. Well, that can't be. Well, it is. <laughs> God is amazing. All right, now see how powerful God is. Because he hung on that cross, he literally gave that opportunity for people to come out from under the fear of death. And you know that that is what has crippled this world right now? 
It talks about it in Hebrews 2, verse 15. And God came and hung on that cross and to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, how much bondage have people been put under because they're afraid to die from some affliction that they say they could get? It puts them into bondage. When you've received Christ and you've received everything that he accomplished by that foolish act of looking like complete loss, a loser hanging on the cross, to us, it's the most miraculous thing that ever happened because we go beyond that. We have absolute power over death and we know whether we sleep, lay, lay down and give up this the ghost and this carcass sleeps in the grave. It sleeps until God calls us awake again. Or if God comes and plucks us out by the hand, you know, in, in the sky, we go to meet him. It's a win-win. Our soul won't stop. It doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop with what we can see, feel, and touch. It doesn't. It goes way beyond it. We have literally conquered death through Christ. So that fear is gone. We no longer fear death. We embrace it because that's when you woohoo get your reward. That's when you win. So there's a win-win. We win here and we win in that moment, in that hour, in the twinkling of an eye. Here we are. We're with him. Whoa, Lord, how wonderful. How glorious. Do you see how there's a rejoicing in it? What a dynamic difference between those that are absolutely crippled and bound by the fear of death and those that are absolutely loosed and freed from it. Wow, how powerful is God. Isaiah 33, 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Now, see, God is going across the face of the earth right now. His indignation is loosed. So who's that everlasting burning and who's that fire, devouring fire? I'm going, who is that devouring fire, Lord, that's loosed right now? Isaiah 30, 27. Behold, the name of the Lord cometh from afar, burning in his anger. That's why he says, tuck away right now, folks. And the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation and his tongue as a devouring fire. What has he come to devour? He's come to devour lies. He's come to devour evil works. He's come to burn away the flesh and the workings of it. And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard. When he removes the flesh, his voice can be heard. Like I say, sit your little teehinder down and get quiet. Still your, your mind and the busyness. He can be heard then. In other words, you use the power of God and pray in those tongues until the flesh is out of the way. And then God can talk. It's wonderful. The Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard. And shall show the lighting down of his arm with the indignation of his anger and with the flame of a devouring fire with scattering and tempest and hailstones. And over in Hebrews 12, 29, it says, for our God is consuming fire. He is revealing wickedness, left, right, front and center. He's wiping it out. He's bringing it out. He's waking people up. He's showing them what's going on. He's showing them the difference between what's good and what's what's bad. 
What a beautiful thing. So who shall escape that fire? Who's going to escape it? When God throws, goes through us that consuming fire. Isaiah 33, 15. He that walketh righteously. You know why? You're going to be part of the fire. <laughs> How wonderful. And speaketh uprightly. He that despiseth the gain of oppressors. You hate what they're doing. The way they're oppressing people. And they're gaining control over it. And manipulating. You hate that. That shaketh his hands from holding bribes. They're bribing each other and receiving bribes. You hate that. I won't be bribed. You can't bribe me. You can't buy me. That stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood. That won't listen to a false accusation, a lie against the truth. And shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. If somebody are doing things in front of you that aren't right, get away. Don't look at it. I know a little girl was watching a TV show with the parents. They were all watching this sitcom. And then something unsavory came on that sitcom. And that little girl looked at it. Oh, I'm out of here. I'm going up to my room. Wasn't going to have any part of it. It was a very foul spirit came on that show. And she says, oh, I'm out of here. See, you see a foul spirit in front of you. Say, oh, I'm out of here. Well, I got to go now, guys. I've got things to do, places to be. Go up into your room. Be with the Lord. But don't let your eyes dwell upon it. Don't watch their unsavory behavior. In other words, don't be around and amongst them. Don't be rubbing shoulders with them. That's how Allie hid. Allie had to hide. She had to go and, and be with a very unsavory sort. And she was a child. And how she managed it is she would go off by herself and play. She would tuck away and hide and play and make herself busy until it was time to go back home. And she would entertain herself, but she didn't have to behold the, the doings. She would go off by herself. She wouldn't engage or entertain, be entertained by it. And that's how she kept herself separate. But she learned that as a small child. And to this day, she still does. She doesn't go into the middle of the rabble rousing and, and entertain a wrong spirit and rub shoulders with it to learn its ways. She doesn't do it. All right. Why did God choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to finish off with this. Verse 29. Why did he do that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. The flesh cannot do what God can do. The flesh can't do it. And so God is God. He moves miraculously and the flesh can't take credit for it. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. You're in him who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We will be redeemed in that glorious day and that glorious hour of God, and we will be with him, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. What a beautiful endeavor Paul poured out to the people. You're all one in the Lord. It's one God. You may have different administrations, you may have different personalities and makeups, but we're all the same inwardly, the same Holy Ghost, the same mind. We're communicating with the same God. So plug in and rejoice and glorify God. All right. Glory in him. Bless God. I love you all. I pray that your souls have been very enlightened and lifted this day 
and freed from any heavy burden that would ever lay upon you or beat you down. You just cast it off now, give it to the Lord and just love him and love him how he manifests on the face of this earth and rejoice in God. I love you all. Bye for now. And that was our wonderful friend, Trish. What an incredible message that was. Hope it blessed you as much as it blessed me. I feel like I could listen to that about 30,000 more times and get even more out of it each time. The good news is you can go to getyourloveon.org. The podcast is always archived there so you can review that rich, rich, incredible message that we were just blessed with. And of course, any and all shows. We also have Bible studies and you can always send your prayer requests. Please go to getyourloveon.org for more information. Since we spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep it on and we'll be back next week to feed your soul. And in the meantime, Lord bless you mightily. It's been a pleasure. Crack yourself a smile or sing a song But I keep my low on Man or woman, man or woman who is so down Try keep your love on <laughs>